Well, take your Bibles and, or take your Bible study outline particularly because that's going to have a lot of the scripture we're going to look at as I preach a message this morning entitled Wisdom and God's Will. This will be the last message in this summer series that we've been in the book of Proverbs. Uh, next Sunday, we'll pick up in the Gospel of John where we left off in May. We'll pick right back up and take that through for the next, uh, about the next 20 months we'll be in the Gospel of John. But we're going to conclude Proverbs this morning. And really, I think this subject matter, where we're going to look at multiple Proverbs uh, throughout the book of Proverbs this morning, is a great way to conclude this study in Proverbs, wisdom and God's will. Because really, wisdom, walking in wisdom, is bottom line, walking according to the will of God. That's what it means. It means to walk according to his will, that we're seeking wisdom, we're walking in wisdom, we're trusting wisdom, we're living in wisdom. That means we're walking according to the will of the Lord. You know, in pastoral ministry, one of the most common questions I get from folks is, uh, how do I know the will of God for my life? That may not be verbalized in those particular terms, but somebody will say something to me, uh, Pastor Troy, I've got a decision to make. I've got these two options. How do I know which is the right one to pick? Any of you ever been in that kind of a situation before? How do I know what to choose? How do I know which decision should I should I choose? Uh, because we are bombarded, as it were, with a seemingly endless, endless barrage of choices. They're before us all the time. Um, big decisions like, where should I go to school? Should I go to college? Should I enter um, some other type of a career? Uh, who should I marry? Uh, where should I live? Where should I go to church? Um, should I pursue this uh, habit or buy this car or purchase this house or that house. Uh, probably the most difficult decision of all, what should I order for lunch, right? No, these are all endless decisions that are, we're faced with every day, and we're bombarded by them. And sometimes because of the simple number of decisions we're forced to make, we can become paralyzed in indecisiveness. And we would secretly wish maybe God, if you would just lay out step by step, moment by moment, clearly bullet point list what you want me to do and how you want me to do it, well, that would be so helpful, right? Just let me know, God, what your specific will for my life is. Now, there's really a primary reason, I think, as Christians, we want to know God's will because we have a new nature because we've been regenerated from death to life, because we've been converted by the power of God, we have, as Christians, an innate desire to please God. We have an innate desire to walk according to his purposes, to truly desire to please God. And so if you are a Christian this morning, you do have a new nature. You have a nature that's been born again, and this innate desire to please God, to walk in a manner worthy of his calling. Furthermore, I think there's a general understanding among Christians of a couple things happening in our lives. One, we still have this flesh, right? And this flesh has its appetite, its desires, its wants, its bents, and combined with our fleshly patterns and habits, we also have two exterior impulses, the world and the devil. And so those three combined together are an unholy trinity. The world, the flesh, and the devil are pulling us away from the purposes and the will of God. And so we need to know God's will if we're to combat these enemies. And so we don't want to make any decision until maybe we've got the will of God clearly patterned out. Maybe like a jigsaw puzzle, if you ever do those. 
You get all the pieces flipped over. You do the corners. Make sure it looks like everything's in alignment. Okay, now I can get started. There's this overly cautious approach that we can take, I believe, that really can render a person almost useless because they don't want to take a single step outside of this perceived amorphous will of God. Many of us are what I would also describe as risk-averse. If you know anything about investments, that's a phrase used in the investment world. Risk-averse. What does that mean? I don't want to take risks. I don't want to open myself, and this is the definition of risk, opening up yourself to the possibility of loss or injury. That's risk. I don't want to open up myself in any way, any form or fashion to the possibility that I might lose something or that I might be injured in some way. The reality is walking in the will of God will often lead us to take risks. Wanting to know the will of God is not a bad pursuit. In fact, I don't want you to get that idea. The Bible continually exhorts us to know the will of the Lord. So we are to know his will. But at the onset here, I want us to to just think about the fact that fretting over every single decision in our lives as to whether or not it falls within the perfect plan of God often prevents us from actually discovering God's will for our lives. In fact, look at this next slide. Here's what I want you to know this morning. You have available to you every resource necessary to discover God's will for your life. Isn't that comforting? You have available to you every resource necessary to discover God's will for your life. Now, there are some improper ways to seek to discover the will of God for your life. I would not suggest that you try to know what God wants you to do through a Ouija board. That would be an improper way. I would not suggest that you go see a tarot card reader or call up the psychic hotline, 1-800-DIAL-A-DEMON, right? I would not encourage you to do that. In fact, there are some spiritual things that on the surface seem like, well, maybe this is a way I can know the will of God that I also would not suggest as a means through which you can discover God's will. I've heard people say that they seek to know God's will through dreams. Well, I had this dream the other day, and boy, the thing I dreamed about really confirmed to me this is what God wanted me to do. Yeah, or it could have been the pizza you ate. I would not suggest dreams as being a primary source of discerning the will of God. We can be deceived in that way. Here's something else I would not suggest, and that is this practice known as, quote-unquote, laying out a fleece. You may have heard that before. It comes from the book of Daniel, and just a little caveat here. There are things in the, wor- in the Word, in the Bible, that are described for us but not prescribed to us. Does that make sense? There are descriptions of what God's people may have done, but that's not necessarily a prescription of what you should do. So Gideon is one example. The word of the Lord came to Gideon by an angel of the Lord personally on three occasions. And each time the word of the Lord came to Gideon, this is what I want you to do. Gideon said, I'm not so sure about that. The word of the Lord came again. Gideon, I want you to this. Oh, I don't know if that's a good, that's not a good idea. Third time it came to them. Oh, I'm not so sure. So then what happened? This wasn't God's idea. This was Gideon's idea. I tell you what, God, just for me to know for sure, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay out this woolen fleece out in the ground and outside. I'm going to go to bed. When I wake up in the morning, God, if you really want me to do this, make the woolen fleece covered in dew and all the ground around it dry. 
God met him there. And so he woke up the next morning. Sure enough, he could wring out the, the fleece and it filled a bucket of water and all the other ground was dry. Was that good enough for Gideon? No. <laughs> you know what he said? Uh, I'm going to put you to the test one more time, God. This time I'm going to go to bed, keep the fleece dry and make all the ground around it wet. He was disbelieving and he was faithless. So how do we know the will of God? Feelings, emotions, letter writing in the sky, Ouija boards, laying out a fleece? No, there is a right way and we have the resources available before us to discover the will of God. And this morning we're gonna use some Proverbs as a launch pad to discover what those resources are for us. This will be one of the simplest messages, one of the simplest things in your life once you grab a hold of these principles and it can be profoundly transforming as you seek to walk in the will of, God, of the Lord. Now, as we go through the message today, we'll not only be considering Proverbs, but I'm gonna bring into play several New Testament passages. There's an interpretive principle that I've given you as a church before, particularly when we went through the book of Genesis two or three years ago. I repeated this principle of Bible interpretation multiple times. Look what it says on the screen. What is in the Old Testament concealed is in the New Testament revealed. So in other words, we interpret the Old Testament, which includes the book of Proverbs, through the truth we know in the New Testament, not the other way around. So we don't interpret the book of Revelation through the book of Daniel. We interpret the book of Daniel through the book of Revelation. Does that make sense? What is in the New T Old Testament concealed, hidden from us, is revealed in the New Testament. Further, and we've pointed this out multiple times in this series in Proverbs, is Proverbs is all about wising up. It's all about knowing wisdom. It's all about walking in wisdom. What I've pointed out multiple occasions is there is a person who is the full embodiment of wisdom. Who is that? Children, the right answer to every Sunday school question. Who is it? Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. Notice a couple of passages. We've looked at these already. 1 Corinthians 1.24 says, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You want to get to know wisdom? You want to get to know the will of God? Get to know Jesus. Colossians 2.3, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How do we grow in wisdom? We grow in Christ-likeness. The point is, when we come to know Jesus, who is the complete embodiment of godly wisdom, we can come to know the will of God. So this morning, hopefully you have an outline. I'm going to lead you through what I would call three beacons, three beacons that will guide us into the will of God. Here's the first beacon I want us to consider. Number one, we should trust objective commands. Trust objective commands. Now, what do I mean by the word objective? It means it is certain. Something that is objective is something that does not shift or change. It is stable. It is certain. It is sure. So what are the commands? The objective commands of God are the Bible, the Scripture. This is rule number one and trying to discover and interpret the will of God for your life is to obey, to trust the commands of Scripture. Now let's look at Proverbs chapter 6 to seek to discover this reality. Proverbs 6, 20 through 23 says this, My son, keep your father's commandment, and forsake not your mother's 
teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Now, often in the poetry literature of the Old Testament, there are multiple synonyms that are used to describe the Scripture, the Bible, the Word of God. And we've got several here. The word commandment, teaching, discipline, reproofs. Those are all synonyms for the Bible, for the Word of God. And the fundamental foundational place where I want us to begin this morning by seeking to know the will of God for our lives is to see that we must obey the Bible. We must trust the Bible. We must depend upon the Scripture. This book, this Bible, is the revelation of God to you. The Reformers refer to it as sola scriptura, Scripture alone. Me and my daughter Amber were having a conversation recently, and she said, you know, Dad, I've got several friends, Christians, who have made this comment to me. I just don't hear God speaking to me lately. And Amber said, I said, are you not reading the Bible? That's how God speaks to us. You want to hear the voice of God? Read the Bible out loud. You want to know what God is saying to you? Read the Scripture. It is the clearest and most straightforward and most unmistakable way that God speaks to us. Now look at verse 23 of Proverbs 6. Does this sound familiar? For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. Have, have you heard those words used together before? Sure. I'll tell you where you've heard them. Psalm 119, written by David, Solomon's father. Solomon wrote Proverbs chapter 6. His father wrote Psalm 119. And here's what Psalm 119, it's a poem of David written as an acrostic poem. You've probably written those in school before. But David used the Hebrew alphabet in order. And when he got to the 14th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and tradition tells us that David actually used Psalm 119 to teach his son Solomon the alphabet. How did Solomon learn the ABCs? David taught it to him through Psalm 119. When he got to the 14th letter, what did Solomon hear from his father David? Look at Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, what does that mean? What is a lamp? What is a light? It gives illumination. It gives clarity. A lamp to our feet is that, that information or illumination for the close by. We look down our feet and step by step, the word of God illuminates our feet. But it's also to our path. That's the far. That's the future. That's out there. The word of God also gives us illumination there. And here comes Solomon as he's writing about how to know the will of God, how to walk in wisdom. And he says, listen, the commands of God, the word of God, they are a lamp and they are a light. It illuminates for us what is close by and also what is coming ahead. And I said this already, I'll say it again. The Scripture is the primary way you can know the will of God. So, are you regularly feasting on the Bible? Are you regularly ingesting the Scripture? Are you regularly looking at the Word, even for a few moments in the day, starting your day reading the Bible? You will not know God's will for your life if you do not 
read his word. It's that simple. Do you forsake the assembling of yourselves together? Or do you see as coming under the preaching of the word or being involved in a small group where you study the word? It's just kind of secondary. Yeah, maybe I'll go. I don't know. Something else better comes up. I'll, I'll go do that. Or do you see that as a priority? And you will not walk in the principles of wisdom in the will of God if you forsake the scriptures. In fact, look at this next principle on the screen. God's will for your life will never be contrary to the principles and precepts of the Bible. So if you're asking yourself, I wonder if I should do this. You get a sense or a feeling, but in your heart of hearts, you know, this is contrary to the Bible. You know, this is not God's will for my life. God does not want me to do this. Now, I would not be serving you well this morning if I just gave you this general idea okay, obey the Bible, but I didn't talk to some nitty-gritty details about what that looks like. So I got three particular things where the Bible talks about knowing the will of the Lord, particularly as it relates to the Scripture and how we can make application of this principle, of this foundational truth in our lives. I'm going to approach these three things not from the sense of knowing or even doing, but being. Because walking the Christian life is not ultimately about knowing certain things or even doing certain things. It's about being something, someone. So there's three things I want to see from the Scripture of how we apply this truth, who we must be. First of all, we must be converted by the gospel. If we are to trust the objective commands of Scripture— to know the will of God for our lives, the first command of Scripture that is absolutely necessary is that we must be converted by the gospel. Now, this may seem like a little bit of unusual language for some of you to refer to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, as something that is a command to be obeyed. Is the gospel a command to be obeyed? Notice how Paul put it to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17 as he's speaking to them. He says this, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, that's Jesus, whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. In other words, the gospel the good news of Jesus, trusting in Christ, believing in him, it's not a suggestion, it's not a proposition, it's not just a recommendation that'll be extra good for your life, it's a command of God. Repent and believe in Jesus. If you do not obey that command, you will not know God's will for your life. Before you can know his will, you must obey that command. You must submit to this truth, what's the truth of the gospel? That each and every one of us, your pastor included, were born and we practice sin. And because of that sin, we are under the righteous and the just and the fair judgment of God. We stand before a holy God condemned in our sinfulness. But God being rich in love because of the great mercy with which he had for us, what did he do? He sent forth his only son who was born of a virgin who walked this human flesh just like we did, who was tempted in every way just as we are tempted yet never sinned. And because he never sinned, he didn't deserve to die, but he willingly 
vicariously, sacrificially, became the substitute, sacrifice, the punishment bearer for all sinners like you and I. And on the third day, that first Easter Sunday, he was resurrected from the dead to new life so that all who trust in him, who believe in his name, could have everlasting life. So friend, if you're here today and you've not done that, you've not obeyed the gospel, repent and believe in Jesus. You cannot know the will of God for your life apart from that. From time to time, I'll have acquaintances and people I know who I know based on their own profession or even by just observable indications from their lives, they're not Christians. But they'll ask me to pray for them, for specific situations. Just two weeks ago, I got a text from somebody, and by observable indication, he's not a Christian, but he texted me and said, hey, Troy, I've got a job interview coming up. Could you pray for me? Now, is the primary need in his life to have a good job interview? No. The primary need in his life is to have the wrath of God that he is under to be removed because he has faith in Jesus. So I texted him back and said, yes, I'll pray for your job interview. And I said, dear God, use this job interview to bring him to his knees. Use whatever situation. Bring him impoverished in his life if he will look up to you and trust in Christ. Because it is infinitesimally small, a job interview, compared to eternity separated from God. If you don't know Christ, the will of God for your life, trust in Jesus. That's the starting point. We know the will by trusting the commands of Scripture. First, we must be, be converted by the gospel. Here's the second thing. Once that happens, the command of the Bible is this, Christian, that you be conformed to Christ. We are to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We're to be like him. We're to walk as he walked. We're to do what he does in thought, in word, in deed, more and more like Jesus. In fact, if you are a Christian, it is your destiny to become like Jesus. You're destined for it. Notice how Paul put it in Romans 8. He said, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. So friends, we're not merely called to do certain things as Christians. We're called to be a certain thing. We're called to be like Jesus. This is our destiny, to take up our cross daily, to follow Jesus, to walk in his steps, to live as he lived. And it is this realization that we are in him, therefore, that we know we can be like him. That's God's eternal plan, without exception, that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. So what's God's will for your life? Be like Jesus. <laughs> it's pretty simple. Be like Jesus. Now, there's a big Bible word, theological word, that is used to describe what becoming more and more like Jesus means. It's this word sanctification. Some of y'all probably heard this word, sanctification. And sanctification really has two parts. One part of sanctification is that moment at your conversion when you went from death to life, when you were set apart, you were sanctified unto God. But the Bible also describes this word sanctification as being a process where you're becoming more and more conformed to the image of Jesus, our sanctification. So this is the will of the Lord. In fact, notice how Paul put it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Here we go. He said this, For this 
is the will of God. That's our subject matter today, right? How do I know your will, God? Here it is, black and white. This is the will of God. What is it? Your sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. How does that play out? The passage continues. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. God's will for our lives, and it's declared right here. The objective command of Scripture is that you be sanctified, that you be coming more and more like Jesus. And according to this passage, this will of God for you is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that you increase in holiness and you decrease in sinfulness. I mentioned earlier that God's will for your life will never be contrary to the precepts and principles of the Bible. So if you're facing a decision about doing something, particularly as it relates to this subject matter of our sexual lives, you can know 100% of the time God's will for your life is never to do something that is outside what the Bible commands for our sexual lives. Never. So let's have a test, okay? I'm going to go through a list. I know we have got children in the room, but I think we'll be okay. I'm going to go through a list, and as I read each word on this list, particularly related to this issue of sexual immorality, I want you to just respond with one of two words. Inside, as in it's inside the will of God, or outside, okay? Let's try the word inside. inside. The word outside. outside. Good, here we go. Number one, viewing pornography. Outside. It's outside the will of God for your life. Premarital sex. Outside. It's outside the will of God. Lustful thoughts. Outside. Adultery. Outside. Homosexuality. Cohabitation with someone who is not your covenant spouse. Gender reassignment surgery. Meeting one another's physical needs in a covenant marriage relationship between one man and one woman for one lifetime. Inside. (laughs) God's got a beautiful design. He's got a thrilling design. This is the will of God. Your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. So the scripture is clear who we must be. We must be converted by the gospel. We must be conformed to the image of Christ. Here's the third thing scripture instructs us. We must be controlled by the spirit. If you're a Christian this morning and you have obeyed the command to repent and believe in the gospel, at that moment something happened. You were filled with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. You were brought from death to life, from darkness to light, and the very Spirit of God came to reside within you, to dwell within you. And we obey the Scripture, we walk according to the will of God when we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Notice how Paul put it in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. That's what we've been discussing for nine weeks in this study in Proverbs. What is unwise? What is wise? Verse 16, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Again, back to Proverbs. Watch this. But understand what the will of the Lord is. 
That's what we're talking about today. How do we know the will of the Lord? How do we do that? Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Let me ask you a very simple yes or no question. Is it the will of God for you to be drunk with wine? No, it is not. It is black and white. Is it the will of God for you to get high on pot? No. Is the will of God for you to get wasted on some methamphetamines or other drug paraphernalia? Is it? No, it is not the will of God for you to do that. What is God's will for your life? That you may be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Just as all these things are controlling substances that control the way we talk, the way we think, our emotions, our actions, all those things are controlling substances. The Bible says this is God's will for your life, that the only controlling substance you have is the Holy Spirit. You would be controlled by the Spirit. How, How does that happen? How can you become more and more controlled by the Spirit? Here's how. Drink down more Bible. That's it. (laughs) Drink more Bible. Memorize the scripture. Man, I got songs memorized from 1972. I can quote every word if I haven't heard the song in 30 years. We've got the capacity. It's just that we have the desire. Memorize the word. Feast on the word. Study the word. And you will become more and more controlled by the Spirit. Now, I've got two more points on my outline, but point number one, as I said, is foundational. It's the fundamental truth on how we can know God's will by submitting to and trusting in the objective commands. But admittedly, admittedly, every detail of our daily decisions, what you're going to order for lunch today at the restaurant, our daily decisions are not spelled out in detail in the Bible. It doesn't get down to the very nitty gritty. So how do we know what we're supposed to do? let's consider these last two points as we move towards a conclusion. Secondly, seek effective counsel. Seek effective counsel. As godly people, you you, uh, look for other godly people that you trust who can give you insight into a particular matter. Friends, that's why God has given us the church, this spiritual family that we do life together with day by day. That's why God's given you Shepherds who lead this congregation. That's why God's given you a small group that hopefully you're meeting with on a regular basis and you're building relationships of trust and encouragement and care and training together. You know, as you read through the book of Proverbs, as I've been reading through it all summer, there's this recurring theme that you start to see. Here's the theme. The fool acts like he has it all together and knows it all. The wise person recognizes, I don't know it all. That's the real theme you see throughout the book of Proverbs. The foolish person says, I don't need anybody. The wise person says, I could really use some help here. That's walking in wisdom. In fact, look at a few Proverbs that point this out. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20 says this, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. This sums up the idea of wise people are not know-it-alls. Wise people do not think, I've got all the answers. They seek the advice of others. What does that look like? Sons and daughters, ask your dad what he would do in a particular situation. And listen to him. Go to your mom. Oh, she's hopelessly old-fashioned. 
Go to your mom. Say, Mom, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And listen to her. The fool says, I don't care what mom thinks. The idiot says, I don't care what dad would do. The wise, godly person says, I really want to consult them before I make any choice here. That's exactly what the Proverbs say. We must know and realize, and this is really a little bit of personal confession here. I must constantly remind myself that I don't have all the answers. I must constantly remind myself, you're not the smartest guy in the room. I must constantly remind myself, it is prideful to think I don't need to ask other people's opinion before making a decision or moving in a particular direction. In fact, look at these next three Proverbs in succession. Proverbs 11.4 says, Where there is no guidance, a people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is safety. Friends, this is why 10 years ago, our church voted to transition the leadership structure of our church from a single pastor, me, to a plurality of shepherds and elders who lead this church under the authority of the whole congregation. Because it's foolish for us to think one guy can do it. A plurality of counselors, an abundance of counselors, there's safety. Look at Proverbs 20:18. Plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. This is a national thought. We don't just have one dictator calling the shots, but we have an abundance of counselors. Finally, look at Proverbs 15:22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, plans succeed. So if we want things to go well, if we want to walk according to the will of God, if we want to walk in righteousness and holiness, then we need to open up ourselves to allow others to speak into our lives into specific situations. Now, one thing I have not mentioned yet in this message, and some of you may see this glaring omission, is prayer. Friends, all these things are bathed in prayer. You read the Bible prayerfully. You, you trust the Spirit prayerfully. You seek wise counsel prayerfully. Now, once we have submitted to the truth of God's Word and we've sought wise counsel, here's the third beacon which guides us into the will of God for our lives. Number three, examine subjective conditions. Now, what do I mean by subjective? Well, earlier I used the word objective, which is kind of like the antonym. Objective means settled, certain, steady, doesn't shift, doesn't change. But what does subjective mean? It means it's somewhat open to interpretation. Based on how you're feeling, based upon your own perspective, based upon your emotional sense of things, you can see a particular condition or situation subjectively one way and somebody else can see it a completely different way. So we've got to examine these subjective conditions. Here's what I mean by these. These are things that pop up in our lives day by day, moment by moment. We weren't planning on them. We didn't ask them to come into our lives, but they just kind of happen. And these subjective conditions that God brings into our lives, they will impact and they will influence what we consider to be God's will. But here's the bottom line. Listen, nothing enters your life. Nothing enters your life that has not first been sifted through the loving, sovereign providential hands of God. Nothing enters your life that has not first been sifted through the hands of God. God is in control. 
That should settle us a lot. Like notice how the Bible puts it in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its very decision is from the Lord. What does this mean? There is not a rolling of a dice. There is not a flipping of a coin. There's not a drawing of straws. There's not a casting of the lot that God's not in control of that outcome. Is that crazy? Yes, it is crazy that God is concerned with the very minuscule details of our lives. Nothing comes into your life that has not first been sifted through the sovereign hands of God. So think about some of the situations and circumstances that just arrive in your life. For instance, maybe some of you have gone through this. You weren't looking for it. You weren't pursuing it, but a job opportunity just came right in front of you. What do I do? How do I know if I should take this job or not? That's a condition that is subjective. I don't know what to do. Amy and I experienced this about six years ago. Somebody sent me a Facebook message. My husband and I would like to buy your house. How much you want for it? What? <laughs> we didn't have it on the market. We weren't looking to sell it. So we had to think through it. How do we know if this is God's will for our life? Should we sell it or should we not sell it? How much should we ask for it? This is divine providence. It's not coincidence. So how do we interpret these subjective conditions? Well, ask yourself three questions. Here's the three questions. Question number one, am I fully submitted to God's word? Do I submit to the rule of the scripture? Am I fully submitted to God's word? Here's the second question. Have I sought wise counsel from those I trust? These are the first two beacons we looked at, right? Have I asked people that I trust, that I believe in? Here's the third question. Do I want to do it? What? Do you want to do it? Is it something you want to do? Now, that may sound counterintuitive to discovering the will of God. Do I want to do it? How self-centered. Remember, those first two conditions have been met. I'm fully submitted to the word of God. I've sought wise counsel. Beacon number one. Beacon number two. Here's beacon number three. I examine this subjective condition. Do I want to do it? Now, let me show you from the scripture where this is not a selfish question or self-centered question. I'll point you to two passages, one from Proverbs, one from the book of Psalms. Proverbs 16.9 says this. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his step. So we submit to the word of God. I want to live by your truth. I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. I'm going to walk in righteousness and holiness, be conformed and controlled by the spirit of God. I'm seeking wise counsel. I want to ask other people what they think about the situation. So the Lord establishes my steps. I do what I want to do. Here's another one, often quoted passage. Psalms 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let me tell you what that verse is not saying. It's not saying if you say, I delight in you, God, that he's gonna give you all your wishes. All your dreams will come true. <laughs> That's not what that verse is saying. If you submit to the word of God and you seek godly counsel to speak into your life, guess what starts to happen? God's will begins to transform your desires. The desires of your heart become aligned to the will of God. It's not that the desires, you make God's will aligned to your desires. He makes your desires aligned to his will. Does that make sense? So at the end of the day, 
when you are delighting yourself in the Lord and he's transforming your desires to be his desires, trust the Bible, listen to counsel, and do what you want. That's pretty freeing, isn't it? It's pretty liberating. What it means is when we take these initial steps, we believe God by his spirit who has been implanted in us will give us the desires of our heart. Um, and we won't be paralyzed by indecision. We won't be paralyzed by, if, if I make the wrong decision here, because guess what? If you make the wrong decision, it's not going to overturn the apple cart of God's purposes. It won't. Notice what the Bible says in another proverb as we close. Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in the eyes of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You cannot capsize God's purpose. But what if I make a really dumb decision? God's purpose will stand forever. He's going to accomplish all his good pleasure. I love what Job said towards the end of the book of Job. You know Job. I mean, went through all this trial and tribulation and hardship and loss and disease. Towards the end of that whole book, he says, I know, he's speaking to God, I know that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I love that word thwart. It means to be overturned, tossed aside. There is not a single purpose of God that will be overturned or capsized because of anything we do. So submit to the Bible, listen to counsel, and do what you want. Here's my conclusion. There's a story told of a harbor in Italy. And this harbor in Italy was very treacherous for ships to navigate into, and many times ships would become grounded on the rocks that littered this bay. So the harbor master on one occasion decided, I'm going to come up with an idea that's going to protect these ships and these vessels that are coming into this harbor. So on the shore, he set up three beacons, and he told ships and navigators who were coming into that harbor, as you approach the harbor, you move your vessel so that all three beacons are in perfect alignment. And once those three beacons are in perfect alignment, you know it is then safe to proceed forward into the harbor. And that's exactly what this is. There are three beacons. There's the word of God. There's the counsel of others. And there's the conditions of life, open doors, closed doors. Do I want to do it? Do I not want to do it? When those three beacons are in alignment, you know what the Spirit says? Move forward. (laughs) Don't be paralyzed by indecision. Move forward and trust God. That's wisdom and the will of God. And that leads to my last thought. As we continually submit to God's word, he transforms our will to be in alignment with his.